Well, welcome back to the Pastors Podcast. Pastor Scott here with Pastor Brian. Yo. And Andy Wilson. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm really excited to get to have this conversation with the two of you. Not the least of which, because I've, we've been trying to have it for like six months. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a scheduling uh, snafu. That's for like, sure. I'm not quite sure how <clears throat> the perfect combination. I mean, maybe it just speaks to the priority of the podcast in all of our, maybe particularly the two of yours' lives. You're like, let the people know, though. <laughs> we tried that. Andy Wilson turned in his dissertation. Oh, this is so that really was important to talk Woo. about. It, he did. I mean, as I of recording of this, less than a week ago. I yeah, just... last Friday. Uh, well, Saturday, technically, at like 1.15 a.m. Okay. Yeah. That is... Re- so, for the people, Yeah. what is your dissertation on? Uh, my dissertation is on everybody's favorite 20th century French composer, Alfred Desenclos. Okay. And uh, on his uh, Requiem, which is called the Messe de Requiem, and uh, available on Spotify... Uh, if you want to check it out. Okay. Uh, there's four recordings. Um, one of them I'm on with USC. And there's another one by a choir from Brussels. That one's my favorite. And then the King's College Choir of London is another one with a really interesting romantic era interpretation. And then the first one that was ever made uh, was by uh, Joël Choubiet and Les Elements uh, Choir in France. But the cool thing is... Um, Dustin, we say Dustin Close, you know, it's, but it's Dustin Close. His son, Frederick, is a world-renowned uh, concert organist, and he is playing on that, uh, that album. So it's mm. interesting to listen to the musical choices he makes that were probably informed by his father. Um, and if you listen to all four, which I don't expect anyone to <laughs> uh, as many times as I have, um, you might notice some differences. But uh, he, he works at the Palace of Versailles as one of the staff organists, so he's kind of a big deal. Interesting. Yeah. So what... What does one write in a dissertation? I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. What's the two-minute version of what someone writes about a dissert in a dissertation on Des Enclos? That's a great question and an important distinction. Uh, something I actually have to do later today. I do need to still write my abstract, but I I I, I turned it in without the abstract. Oh, so yeah, that's what we need. We need the abstract. Yeah, because yeah. because I was just so close to it, and I've listened to this music and studied it for so long, almost two years now. Mm. Uh, and and so I I can't condense this down to two hundred and fifty words right now. So anyway, I just need to step back. Yeah. But the short version is. Um, it's basically you are contributing original scholarship to uh, the, the research in your field mm. uh, and taking a, a take on something uh, and then presenting it to uh, your colleagues and saying, hey, I, I researched this, I do- uh, dove deep into this, and here's my take on this, and now I'm presenting it to you. So it's, it's basically original scholarship. And that's kind of one of the hallmarks of the doctorate is that, you know, as you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, you're not just re, re, recalling and repeating information just like you would do in high school or, or your undergrad perhaps. But, uh, and so you have to take something and synthesize it into an original idea. Got it. Yeah. Um, well, for those, for all those who want to read said dissertation, mm-hmm. when, when might it be published? Uh, it'll be published well, let's see. I have to get through my three professors okay. and my three readers um, on How my committee. How far away from this? And, yeah. Well, technically six six weeks because okay. the turnaround is supposed to be two weeks. They have to read, uh-huh. and then I I guess I have two weeks as well. So, but it's not going to be that. It's going to be hopefully minimal edits and and everything. But the the funny part is is I'm the expert on this, and my professors are not, and so they 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 have to ask me questions if if they don't if they if I say something that's like. Not true, you know. It well, or or they they're yeah, like, yeah. well, I need well, back that up, you uh-huh. know, stuff like that. So, well, this, but this, so so in about probably in about six weeks, if, if somebody wanted to read it, <laughs> it uh, that be, or or I could you know yeah. uh, organize a presentation or something. Awesome. Well, that, man, this is congratulations. Thank this you. This is really thank you very really, much. Really, really exciting. Um, and I know uh, the culmination of a ton of work for you, um, and also not the topic of our podcast. Mm. Turns out, <laughs> as it turns out, it's tangential. Who degrees yeah, in sacred yeah. music? We, 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 <laughs> yeah, we could, we yeah. could. Um, but the the topic of this podcast and why I, we've been trying to get together for six months now is I I'm just I, I want to provide the opportunity for the two of you to also just 
share with our church family and help us continue to learn and move forward about the nature of singing in church and why we do it and what's the, what the significance of it is. Um, I mean, I, I've often been struck by the fact that we, we spend a good amount of our church services every Sunday singing together, right? And not just listening, but it's, we, we seem to make a, a point that it's important that everyone is joined in, in the singing. Um, and you know, it, that's not normal. Like people who gather for other kinds of lectures or teachings or even spiritual meditations don't necessarily like all sing together. And so I, I guess maybe the most kind of foundational question I have that I've, that I've had for six months now, guys, <laughs> and, and have not been able to answer Stewing on it. is what, why do we sing? Um, I, I, what's funny is, is, um, on this question, um, well, I'll give you a short version of what I think first. The, the short version is it, it binds us together in one common purpose, aligns our hearts uh, to, to what we're singing about and who we're singing for and who we're trying to honor and praise. And I think that is the fundamental and ultimate reason uh, why we do it. Hmm. I, I mean, I think it, it's, hard, it's hard to oversell how weird it is that we do this. <laughs> to, to other right? people. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're raised in the church, it feels really normal. Totally but like normal. the idea of someone who has not been in, like raised in the church coming in, I don't know, like 28, 32 years old, something like, and they roll in and they're like, wait, what are we doing? Yeah. Like I stand <laughs> up and like sing with people like in a row, like <laughs> at 9am. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> such a weird thing to do. And so I think. I think, yeah, I mean, ultimately there, and I think we'll probably get to this later, but, um, scripture talks about, you know, us singing, singing shot throughout the Bible. Um, and I think at least one reason is because music has ways of expressing, um, concepts, emotions, realities, truths, uh, that is different than simply saying them out loud. And that pairing things with music, especially pairing powerful realities with music, is a way of driving them into our own hearts in a deeper way, of perceiving them, experiencing them yourself in a way that's different than simply having them said to you, uh, and also um, communicating them to others. And Andy talks about the binding nature of it. In some ways, singing together uh, rallies us around a common vision of reality that's more holistic than just a set of bullet points or facts. Mm. Um, it rallies us around the, a more fully like expressed um, understanding of who God is in not just his reality, but his beauty, not just his fact, but his, his love and grace in a way that is more than just saying them, even saying them emotively. Singing binds us together around those things and in those things. Um, it's us living as a family with that kind of emotional dynamic. Hey, emotional is probably too thin, but with that kind mm -hmm. of reality, that, that fully expressive reality dynamic at play. Mm -hmm. and, and also like just scientifically too, it, uh, there are studies that show that the hearts in, if you're singing with people in a room, your hearts and your heartbeat aligns. And in terms of learn, wait, wait. it's crazy, right? And, what? Yeah. And I've never heard this. Yeah, it's, if that's that's part of the reason why when you sing with a group of people, that you have this sort of experience that you might not understand. Like your blood pumping, like not your yeah. heart aligns, like your biblical heart aligns, like your physical, your physical heart, heart aligns. Yeah, like syncs up. Mm -hmm. I mean, not by like no, I know six yeah, beats yeah. per minute, no, but, no, like, no, I know, but, but like, like they sort of they kind of like, they they kind of like, the like like yeah, like mm -hmm. come towards one another. Yeah. And, wow. and, and because of that, there are, and it also lowers your blood pressure. So there's health benefits. And, and in terms of learning theory, singing something often, so like Brian was alluding to, solidifies concepts and helps you remember uh, certain things, especially when they are hard to understand or not just blatant. And so, mm. you know, those are, um, those are science things, but, but yeah, still yeah, like but really cool though. I, you know? and I think maybe in, in that sense, like evidence of Absolutely. how God created us and how created this, this dynamic to function. Yes, totally. And, and, and also why people for eons have been doing this in the faith mm. because they're like, well, we don't really understand this or know the, we don't have the research, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, with the early Christians, but they're yeah. like, this, this feels right. And so we're going to pursue this, mm. you know, I don't know. Can't really tell what they're thinking. So, 
So that, I mean, that's, that's so powerful. And it's obviously yeah. a consistent, so not only is it, we see the evidence, but not only is it a consistent part of tradition, right? This is what churches have done as long as we, they've existed. Um, but then there's a biblical basis for this too, right? Like how, what, how do we see singing talked about in scripture and how, like, where do we get this idea of singing together from biblically? Well, there's like a, there's a, a holistic kind of line throughout the Bible that involves singing. I mean, in, in some ways you could say that um, when Adam sees Eve, that's the first song. It, it's at least poetic. And poetry and singing in scripture tend to be a little more, like that Venn diagram has a little more purple mm. than maybe we're used to. Where like mm. poetry is the thing you write down in like a weird stanza set and you print it and then they're singing this way over here, this other thing that mm. is musical. For them, they, those, those kind of bled together a lot more. But uh, you really see it um, in, in Exodus, after the people are delivered through the Red mm. Sea, they sing a song. Mm. Um, in Chronicles, uh, David sings a song after, you know, his, you know, his Exodus from the threat of Saul has got, got deliverance. It's always responded to with a song. The book of Psalms is essentially a book of songs that are also prayers, musical prayers, uh, prayerful songs that the people sang, you know, over and over and over again. And the early Christians constantly sang. Um, you get to into the New Testament, you have verses like um, in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that we're supposed to be singing, admonishing one another, you know, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you know, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. There's there's like commands to to sing uh, as a group. And then in, in Revelation, um, you have I'm almost all of the communication from the 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 bride of Christ essentially like like from from the the, the martyrs all, we don't have time to go into all this but like yeah. there's different vignettes where angels and and humans are responding to God or declaring things about God and almost all of it is sung hmm. um, you know they're they're not just shouting it they're singing it huh. and so it really from kind of from cover to cover at some level you you start to wonder about you know this is a little more um, uh, I don't know what, what what the word would be. It's a little looser, but you know when God speaks the world into creation in Genesis. I mean, Tolkien when he did his um, his sort of story about the creation of Middle Earth in Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, he it, it's all singing. Singing. He it, it's sort of setting forth a melody and having harmonies kind of come and and in many ways like evil was the absence of coherence to that harmony and and, and all these different things. And so that, I'm not saying that's exactly how it was, but sure. it's a really beautiful interpretation of how maybe thinking about God's communication to us about creation isn't just him sort of like, <laughs> you know, saying a blank phrase, you know, mm. let there be light. Like maybe there's a little more <laughs> to it than that. Maybe there was a musicality yeah, yeah. to it in some sense. So to me, the, it's everywhere in scripture. Mm. Um, all re- human response in scripture, eventually, not all human response, but like, the most emotional responses to God's deliverance tend to have a a musical element to them, a singing element to them that I think informs why the early church did it and why we, we do it today. Hmm. For sure. Um, I think hymn songs and spiritual songs are referenced throughout the Bible so many times. And it's really interesting that they, that it uh, says it in that way each time. Hmm. I know there's a number of hymnals that are called that, uh, which I, I think is interesting. And um I think throughout, uh, I think most, yeah, most of what Brian said, um, uh, I was going to say as well, First Chronicles and the Levites <coughs> um, being appointed as as musical leaders, I think it was. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. The Levites, yeah. yeah. And then and then just Psalms and, and David. And, and Andy's, Andy's looking at his notes like, Brian, you took all of yeah. like, everything I, was, I wanted to say. It's a good say. point, though. Like the, <laughs> the temple had singers. Yeah. yeah and when yeah. they came back, like in Ezra and Nehemiah, the second temple, yeah. one of the main things they did was like, we got to get the singers back. Yeah, yeah. And they took, they took 10, 10 Jewish uh, men and boys, and mm. that was called a minion. And that was the formation of the first choirs in biblical times. And uh, it was, that's how it, a group singing in that respect in the Jewish faith uh, started there and blossomed into what it is today. Hmm. Wow. But yes, uh, David, David in the Psalms is a, is a huge one, obviously that's, you know, spiritual, sacred poetry in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably so many of the settings, the first settings of music with notation mm-hmm. uh, was with the Psalms. And a lot of people don't realize that hymns, Brian was talking about this earlier, that hymns were uh, were sacred poetry uh, 
before. They, they weren't necessarily set with, with a hymn tune or with notation. They were words that you said in church or in service. And it wasn't for a while later that they actually paired them with hymns. And that's part of the reason why hymns have different uh, or, or multiple hymn tunes that you can put with them, depending mm-hmm. on the poetic meter. So actually, I, a question that comes to my mind, Andy, is like, how, how do you think it would help us think about the Psalms differently if we thought of them as songs, mm. right? I think, I think sometimes we read it just kind of as another version of scripture, but they were, they're written as songs, yeah. right? And, and to be sung, to, to lead the, the people of God in worship, Right, I mean, mm-hmm. how, yeah, I don't know how, how would that impact or shape maybe how we engage with. I think with I think I think um, that's a cool exercise of of reframing. Mm. I I don't know why the last couple of years I've been big on reframing things in order to understand them, mm. and so I like to buck the status quo and be like and like you said, like okay, I have read these my entire life from Sunday school. Yeah. And just kind of read them as literature or as, you know, yeah, Bible yeah. study or or just instead of considering that context. And I think that's really interesting to to look at because you get to make the comparison with poetry and how poetry books are laid out. You get to make the comparison with lyrics of a song or the text of a song and how those are written. I mean, they don't always rhyme, you know, and then then you have, then you get to put yourself in the mindset of David. And I think King Solomon wrote some of the Psalms, mm-hmm. too. But um uh, put yourself in their in their headspace, so like where they were and how God inspired them to write these these words in this specific order at this point and what they were trying to either mm. communicate or express. Mm. I mean, we don't know if they were a self-expression of worship or if they were being, you know, they were trying to uh, communicate a specific thing or, you know. Yeah. yeah so I think just reframing it with 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 that in a, in a bit of a more modern context is is kind of a cool way to look at it. And I think from there, you'll glean a lot of um, insight into into that. Yeah. I think it teaches you how to read. Like, yeah. in, all, in, all, in all honesty, like, yeah. I, and I, like a bold claim, but like yeah. songs are written to be sang more than once. And they're not written to be like reduced into a couple of application steps or a couple mm. of truth claims. You really... I think there's a reason why, like, you have these, uh, you know, stories of people who, uh, you know, in their very old age, don't have a lot of memory left, but you play them Amazing Grace or Come Thou Found, and they yeah. start singing. Like, yeah. Because th- that's a way of putting, music is a way of putting something inside you that's, a, that's not just a mnemonic device. And it lives um, forever. It, and it, it just stays. And there's something about that holism that puts it, I think, deeply and, and, and lastingly and that's in some ways how not just the Psalms, but all of scripture is supposed to be interacted with. Mm. It's all supposed to be something that's like meditated on the way that you meditate on a song you sing many different times mm. and kind of store it away and put inside. And that's not just a longevity issue. It's also a, an interpretation. It, it, it's a way of understanding what scripture is and it ought to be doing to you mm. in your heart. And so, I mean, it, also knowing about music, like thinking about how music is supposed to function where supposed to function. <laughs> I've got a music college essentially across the table. So I'm going I'm to ease up on this because I know, I know that there's all this other stuff that's postmodern, but like there's a way, the history of music tends to want to pair the thematic reality, like the reality is being expressed with the kind of melody and musical expression. Those are supposed to go together, mm. not separate. And if they are jarring, it's supposed to be for a reason to mm. make you think more deeply about um, what's being done there. And in that way, to think about what different kinds of music would go with this psalm I'm reading. Like, what would it sound like to put this huh. to music? Huh. Would it be soaring? Would it be, you know, low and guttural? Like, what, kind of, what kind of orchestration would there be? Is this better? You know, like, all those different thoughts, I think, give you insight into... You're just meditating on the text at that point. Hmm. That's really interesting. Oh, okay, so what? one of the... <clears throat> I... All of a sudden, I was just thinking about like the song I read this morning, and I'm trying to like yeah. put it. That's, that's a really cool exercise too. Um, okay, so one of the things I really appreciate about both of you is you have just a deep appreciation for the um, for the deep and theological implications of both truth and the reality and the world. But your your passion is that that is in service of the local church. Right? Your passion is that that is um, not just kind of f- 
from academia for academia, mm-hmm. right? But that that the the knowledge and, and experience and expertise that that how we think about these things gets put in practice in the context of the local church. And so from kind of all of that, both like what singing is, why we sing, and where we see singing in scripture, um, I I would just love to hear your thoughts on what you would hope people know about singing in church. Like, so from there kind of to the next Sunday in the pew, what are some of the things that you hope people would know or recognize or be equipped with as they show up on a Sunday morning and join in the singing? I would say that what I would want people to know, and I and this is something I pray about, especially on Sunday mornings, especially when I'm leading, is aside from just trying to do my best in worship for God and remove distractions from worship for everyone in 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 the worship space, I would in, I would encourage people to prepare for for church in that way. Not only their their heart. But and spiritually, in in terms of focus and you know reducing distractions in their life, but think about how singing physically affects you. Hmm. Think about how you mentally prepare. Think about how you spiritually prepare, and how you approach singing in worship in a more intentional way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just kind of show up and. And you know they have a routine, and maybe and maybe that's getting coffee or dropping the kids off, or 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 chatting with this person, or sitting in the sixth pew on the left, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they sort of and but it, and it is a social time too, and that's important. But also when uh, I use the the threshold of the door as a metaphor, and I think that when you walk through the threshold either of the church or of the sanctuary space, that that becomes sacred. Um, in in a in a in a sort of. Um, Obviously, you know any any space is sacred if if you make it and and more two or more gathered. But I think people need yeah, to realize there's a helpful thought there. Yeah, and and so you sort of transition into okay, we we need to. If I have been distracted up to this point uh, by something, maybe got cut off in traffic, or you know the you were late, or your kid has two different kinds of shoes on and one's Velcro and one's tied, or or whatever <laughs> that that you that you that you try to to focus your heart and your mind. Uh, and try to get it quiet so it can concentrate on on what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think part of the reason we sing in church, especially near or at the beginning, is to help with that sort of process. It quiets you in a way. And and the other thing is people need to realize that speaking, or excuse me, that singing is not just speaking 2.0. Mm-hmm. There are things involved with singing that are you have to do so much more of in order to sing. And to not make it a distraction. Things like breathing, you know, you're not breathing and singing and breathing and speaking are very, very different. And if I think if people learned some of those fundamentals, uh, I think it would greatly improve their experience. And and it's not just to make it better; it's to reduce distraction, mm. so they can focus on God and stay in fellowship with God. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it, it it's. <laughs> There's a lot here. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, a couple of things I'd, I'd, I'd want everyone to know, especially given that not everyone has like a, a long history with singing in church. You know, like it's, it's not like we can just assume that, oh yeah, I would have been doing this for, you know, 20 years. Um, a lot of people are new to it. A lot of people are new to Cornerstone or new to Christianity. Um, one thing right off the bat is that the singing is for everyone, like not just for those who are on stage. So like, <laughs> like there's kind of a... Um, uh, it's important though there's a band on stage to recognize that they're not the ones doing the singing and you're kind of singing along like at a concert, you know, like, cause you happen to like the tune. It's a very different thing where you're, you're participating in the band is facilitating the congregation singing. The congregation isn't like coming along with the band to show their support. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing. Um, but the other thing is that I think in our kind of Christian circles, singing is often viewed as a warm up. And the sermon is viewed as the thing. Mm. And as the guy who kind of oversees and does the majority of the preaching, I'm, I am, I'm very opposed to that way of thinking. Mm. Um, I think that while I obviously believe in the power and importance of a sermon, um, I even hesitate to call it like some people have in the past, like the centerpiece 
of the service because I think it that's just too uh, it, it leaves a binary thought in people's heads where that's the important part and the other stuff is sort of warm up to it. Mm. Um, if there is a primacy to the word uh, being proclaimed, um, I want to see that same primacy extended in some ways to the fact that that's what we're doing when we're singing mm. is proclaiming the truth of God's word, often using words from scripture itself to mm-hmm. each other. Like yeah. there's a way that that the singing isn't just this sort of thing that gets us to the sermon um, that I can kind of come in late because I was having a good conversation and it's not a big deal. Um, the singing is part of worship that's commanded by God for good reason, like for your joy and your formation and what it means for us to be a family. And like, I think we should be like really excited about that and not just, you're leaving too much joy on the table to look at it as a warm up mm. to, and to the thing that's really important, which is the sermon. Mm. There's just so much more goodness to be had if you look at the whole service, especially in some ways the music um, as something that has the power to impact you um, and draw you closer to God. And I think some people walk away from a church service more often than we realize uh, having a verse from a song stay with them all week and genuinely transform their lives mm. um, when a sentence from the sermon did not do that same thing. Mm. But mm. both can happen though. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. We don't need to make them fight, I guess. Right. Is what I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think because of what we were talking about earlier, how, how like a song will stay with you, whether you want it to or not in your brain, those, I think it may, it might be more likely that that is the thing that repeats in your, in your head uh, through, throughout the week. And I have to, I think about that a lot and just what, what text did it come from? You know, mm-hmm. is it from the sermon? Is it from a song? Is it from a song that used, you know, a biblical text? And, and why is that, why is the Holy Spirit playing that in my head and ha- trying to teach me, uh, through that by just keeping it going the whole week or yeah. whatever. Couple yeah. and, and I think too, uh, we, we forgot at the beginning, um, to talk about the, the commandment to sing. Mm. God commands us to sing. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so he, he does like, does that mean everybody should sing? Like, I mean, like actually everybody, like what about bad singers? Mm. That's a great question. <laughs> that's a like great there's question. bad singers. I, I literally told you that it was okay to tell everyone in the church that Andy can teach them to sing no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think I made that claim on the last podcast. I stand by so, it. Yeah. But like, and, and I do too. And, and I, I love this question. And I was wondering when you're going to get to it. Uh, because I, on the piece of paper I have, I crossed out bad. Um, (laughs) because, uh, because that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, -hmm. bad singers do not exist. And I'm, before I get into that, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, in the Bible, it talks about all these instruments, Uh you know, and singing. And, and I think that there are different ways to worship. And as long as your heart is in the place that it needs to be and is prepared, um, and you're coming from a place of peace or joy or Thanksgiving or something, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with sitting in service and listening and participating that way, as long as you are concentrating on what you're doing or allowing space in your brain by removing distractions to experience something. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be, okay, today I'm going to experience this mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and letting, letting the spirit move in you and, and like, see what sticks, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a, it's a really tight B way to do it, but I think I think it's important to to know that, and especially for worship leaders to not be offended if someone's not singing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you're not inside their head. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know yeah. why they're not singing. You know, maybe they maybe they had a rough day. Maybe they choked on their coffee. Maybe this particular song or hymn reminds them of their grandparents' funeral, and it's just really hard to open their mouth and sing. But they are experiencing the text and the music in a way that that heals their heart. Mm. or allows them to process something mm. or prepares them for worship or for the, for the sermon, you know, like what, you know, we, we don't always know what, what God is doing in our, in our lives and our hearts, but mm-hmm. as long as we can make ourselves open to it. Now, the second part is everyone, yes, everyone should sing mm. everyone if they can and they want to, and they think it's an important thing to do, which it is, I think everyone should sing no matter how that looks for, for you. And it could be, it could be the, the softest voice, mm-hmm. you know, it could be, it, you could sing loud, you know, it, it, it just depends on if you're making a joyful noise mm-hmm. and your intent behind it. And if you, I think a lot of people, I don't know what, I'm just going to throw out a random percentage, but I think because the church. I love doing that. Operates. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, I don't have any research on this. Yeah. Andy's worked on staff. That's, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite um, things to do. And, and, you know, we have a unique situation where, where music is part of the church and yeah. a lot of people do sing in church. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, let's just say uh, uh, 70% of people don't necessarily have tr- like training or experience on a worship team or in a choir or something. But we can still sing as people. We're not we're not required to sing in church. It's just one of the ways that we do that. And just like anything, you you gotta you gotta put in a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I told I tell people all the time, like they tell me they can't sing or whatever, and especially here, I say, Well, come talk to me. Let's let's meet up for a half an hour and I'll show you like three things that you can do between now and next week that will change the way that you approach this. Mm-hmm. And give you a more uh, accepting attitude of yourself because mm-hmm. there's a lot of judgment that people carry about their voices yeah. because it's not like picking up a saxophone. It's you, it's you, it's your voice. And mm. if someone once upon a time has told you that you are a bad singer, that is deeply hurtful, mm. deeply. And that happens a lot or, or at least happened a lot more back in the day. And, and, but there's, there's like a couple different things that, that I could just show you real quick. And if you do them and practice them for a week, I guarantee you mm. that, that you, you won't think that you're a bad singer anymore, or that you have at least have the tools to build upon that. Mm-hmm. Because if you're willing to make that commitment, then you will see, I think you will see your spiritual life grow in ways that you did not know were possible because you may have sort of pushed off singing as, oh, that's not for me for mm. how many decades, mm. you know? And I think it's a powerful thing. So mm. contact your local uh, music specialist. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I mean, contact your lo- local music specialist. I, I think you could, this is also something we can just do interpersonally. Like I, you know, it's really, um, we just sing together. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know what, what strikes me actually by way of testimony a little bit, <clears throat> I think this opinion of yours has shaped things for me and it's shaped my family. And one of the things that our family has kind of gotten into over the last couple of years in our family worship time uh, we, is to sing. And we didn't do it for a while, but like it's it's the thing we keep coming back to because it's like the it is it's the thing it's like the easiest access point, and it's uh, and it's great. Um, but but my family's not filled with great singers, um, and I like kind of just encourage those that sing better to sing louder to make it work because when there's only six people in the room it like it's yeah it's hard it's mm-hmm. kind of noticeable mm-hmm. this opinion of yours both in like conversations with both my kids and even uh kind of motivated laura and i to like actually just try to help them mm-hmm. like sing a little bit better yeah. and to you know take a little bit of effort to be like oh you know here like here don't do this like try this and it actually made a difference. I, I think I had inadvertently believed in like kind of the, the concept of tone deafness. Right. And I was like, well, either you got it or you don't. And so if you don't, like, I guess you don't. Um, but I, I've seen real development. You know, nobody like becomes like a, you know, operatic like aria master. But mm-hmm. like, uh, but I've seen like genuine development and enjoyment in ways that I didn't, I actually, I, I don't think I thought were possible. I didn't think that like happened. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm thankful to, to you for that. And it's, it's incredible to see how that, how that happens. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of people just taking that first couple steps. Mm. Well, really. and I think it's important to kind of like look underneath some of that to the idea that if there's ever a place it's safe yeah. to yeah. sing imperfectly, it's the church family. Yeah. Like, the go- the reason you should want to sing better is because you want to get and give more joy out of it, mm. not because you want to cross the threshold of passable singing. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah. singing is, I mean, Andy's right. And I, I don't think people realize how vulnerable the singing voice is um, for anyone, mm. let alone someone who like doesn't, isn't trained or whatever. Um, the church family making, uh, like singing together is more about us singing together than it is about us singing beautifully together. Mm. And so singing beautifully together comes downstream Mm. from the safety 
uh, I mean, again, like, it, the, yeah. the thing we're singing about is grace. <laughs> so, like, so that we really need to internalize that. And I think some people haven't brought the gospel down into it's okay for me to make an imperfect, you know, noise yeah. <laughs> as I sing with my family. Cause even in family worship, the point is us doing it together. And from that basis of safety and security and grace and knowing that that's what this is really about, then it's like, well, why wouldn't I want to do more, make this more beautiful? Some people pit those against each other too. It's like, well, it can be beautiful or it can be sort of like letting your hair down and everyone's included. It's like, no, it's, it, it's all of these things. Mm. Like because everyone's safe in, in the church family and everyone who belongs should be able to sing mm-hmm. and can. Absolutely. Well, from there, why wouldn't you say there's people here who can help me like do this more comfortably? and feel more access and therefore be a better servant to my neighbor, not just because it's prettier, but because I feel better about it. Yeah. All of that is, is downstream from the acceptance of the gospel. That's at the root of what we're saying about. Yeah. And, and if, and once you go through that, it's not only healing, but you are no longer feeling like you're taking away from worship Mm. and you're contributing to worship in Mm -hmm. a really meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And you are at the beginning too, when, when you are, just participating and, and maybe it's not the greatest or whatever, but that, that doesn't matter. Like you said, it's, it's about being vulnerable and grace and singing with the family. Well, you have this assumption that you know what everyone's thinking. And I think yeah. that's one of the beautiful yeah. things about singing in church is you really can have, there have been moments where someone is singing and they, they do not have the key. They don't have it. And they're mm. next to me, but man, they are genuine. Mm. And that does something for me. Mm-hmm. The same way that someone can have the opposite, I can have the opposite experience where someone I'm like, man, they, their voice is so stunningly beautiful right now. And they're adding this harmony. And I'm like, man, that just moves me to worship too. Mm. Both those things can happen in the exact same song. Mm. So let's not assume we know exactly how God's going to use <laughs> what we're doing in yeah. the service. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we, we may have covered some of this, but I, I would love to ask the two of you how you hope our church family will continue to grow in its singing. I think lots of people have ideas about how they hope our church family will grow in its singing. I think, right. Some people think, feel like they'd like to see us clap more. Some people feel like they'd like to, us to sing louder. Some people feel like they like to, to sing quieter. Like, but most, I think of the ways that, that most of us hope the church will grow in singing are really just like, tastes and preferences, right? Like I, I would like the church to grow more towards like just what I really like. Um, but I'd like as a couple of guys who've thought about this, uh, so significantly, I I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you, and as you lead and guide our church, how you hope we will continue to grow in particularly our congregational singing. I think first of all, Cornerstone West LA is a really unique place and a really unique congregation that every, I think almost, I would say almost everyone sings, or at least I should say this, I can hear the congregation over the band mm. and that is unique. That does not happen. Mm. Or is, and the same thing could be said with, with the organ. You know, if, if, if an organist is playing, it's usually pretty loud. But sometimes soft, but you you don't always hear the congregation unless you're singing like How Great Thou Art or Amazing Grace or something. Yeah. And that comes down to to comfort and mm-hmm. confidence and and preparing your heart for worship. Um and so so I just want to say that everyone's doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh and 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 that it as a as as a worship leader, it is one of the most fulfilling parts of my job mm-hmm. here at Cornerstone to hear that sort of reflection of the band and the congregation. And it's not one-sided mm. and it's not, you know, strong on one side and weak on the other. And so I would just say more mm. or, or, or not more like louder, just like, just make sure that you're preparing for worship mm. and that you're intentionally approaching singing to God on purpose mm. every, every day, every week. And you know, if there's some, if there's a few of you out there who are who are not singing because there's something holding you back, find out what that is, mm. and try to figure that out because of the reasons that that we've we've said before. And you know, I think intentionality is really important. And I think that you know, while the congregation is really doing an amazing job, especially on songs they know, just dive all into it. Mm. And something that I've seen at the worship nights that we've had 
has just been truly incredible. And singing in a room full of people on a night where you just get to focus on worship is a really amazing thing to experience. And and I don't want to say, I was thinking about this answer before this, and I don't want to say, oh, all of worship should always be like that. Mm. All of worship should be unabashed and and more free and people standing in the aisles and having their hands raised and their eyes closed and and just singing. You know, it doesn't always have to be that. You, mm. Powerful worship can be quiet in nature. Mm. Um, that's why there are soft dynamics in music mm. and there's a whole spectrum of it. And And people tend to think that loudest is best or fullest is best. And that's just because they're probably trying to encourage people to sing more. Mm. Whereas at Cornerstone, I think we're doing a pretty good job. And I'd say just be more intentional about it and try to remove those distractions so that you can contribute in a meaningful way to your own spiritual development through worship. Mm. Love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have kind of twin answers to this one. I, I think personally, the the power of music is counterintuitive sometimes because of how easily distracted you can be while you're singing. <laughs> like mm. it's just weirdly like I don't know of any other activity besides maybe driving that I can autopilot as much <laughs> as singing familiar songs. Mm. Um which is just crazy because music is also intensely powerful, but somehow it is simultaneously something that I can do mm. on on kind of rote. Um and I think we fall into that trap far more often than we realize mm. um on a Sunday. And so I, I'm with Andy. We have a phenomenal singing church. Mm-hmm. Like there's, yeah. there are there are zero complaints mm-hmm. um, from from us as like leaders of music. But I also think about myself when I'm not leading music and I'm in the pew and how easily I am just kind of saying I'm just singing stuff um, and like what it could be like for me and maybe for you listening if we really focused on what we were singing and tried just even just actively tried to not be distracted. Um, some people, I think that comes pretty naturally to, it doesn't come naturally to me. Um, I, I get, I kind of multitask, my brain goes somewhere else. Um, even sometimes I'm, cause I, I have some musical training. I think about the harmony I'm singing sometimes like, oh, well, that's not really my, like, my main goal right now. And so that's one way to, to like improve our singing is just to, to really focus and, and try, even not really focus, just try and not focus on something else mm-hmm. and see what happens. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is one of the things I love that Andy has brought um, to the church is the choir uh, and a passion for that. Mm. And I think that that's not necessarily everyone singing, um, but either participating in that or looking to be blessed by that Mm. in the few times we have that during the year and seeing what that develops into. I mean, there's there's ways that music um, and singing can be a, a rich blessing um, when it's not the same congregational singing we do week to week, um, and looking to in- enjoy that and participate in that and be a blessing to the church, either by the way you receive it or the way you produce it, um, is another way that we can kind of continue to improve. There's something about the church that's that's kind of amazing because it, musically, the church is like like the monks keeping the candle alive when everyone else around is like telling Alexa to turn the lights off. <laughs> Like, 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 like nowhere else. In, what a great like, yeah, that's great. Nowhere else in, in, in our culture is music as cultivated continually amongst like, like the masses and not just this very select few than in the church. And so like the, there's something about that that I think is special and kind of precious that isn't just for people who think about singing a lot and music a lot like Andy or me, that's for all of us. Like we have a rich heritage of beautiful singing that we don't just get to look at from a distance, but participate in every Sunday and also realize that we are leaving a heritage in the songs that we sing that become part of like the, the Christian um, uh, like vernacular of song. Like they become part of the list that maybe they're written five years ago, but they're going to be sung in 50 years. um, And we're a part of singing that reality into existence Sunday to Sunday. And we also can through things like the choir access the riches of our tradition that isn't something you sing uh, Sunday to Sunday, but is something that belongs to us. Mm. And, and that candle is still alive. And we mm. ought to be blessed by that. I think of the, the uh, Maundy Thursday service mm-hmm. coming up and yeah, just the, that. All, all sorts of different ways that the that choirs uh, handle with, with a lot of care and delicacy uh, that's appropriate to the medium. 
this beautiful thing that's been handed down from generation to generation that I just don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. And so if we as Cornerstone can participate with, with someone like Andy here, it, 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 we don't have an excuse not to. Like, <laughs> like if we can participate, whatever our role, in continuing that for the sake of the ones that came before and, and that come after, I think we've done our part to pitch in on keeping that candle, you know, aflame. Yeah. That's, that's so helpful. Um, I've got, I've got a few more questions uh, that actually change gears. And so I'm, I'm going to save that for a different podcast, maybe six months from now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it in my calendar. I've, I've, I've got so many questions about how music interacts with our spiritual lives, even just like outside of corporate worship. And I, there's, there's so much there. I'd, I'd love to explore that with you guys. Um, but maybe, maybe one last question. Um, as we kind of wrap up and think about corporate worship and specifically corporate worship here at Cornerstone, we, we also use a bit of a diversity of styles between hymns, between, you know, brand new songs, songs from, you know, oldies from the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, <Throwback>. yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, and, and choral music at times. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, I think sometimes I don't know, if somebody's new, they might feel like that's just kind of haphazard or based on taste. Like, how would you, somebody who's maybe new here, maybe hasn't thought about it, how would you encourage them to think about the the diversity of uh, musical styles we utilize in worship? Um, why we do that? And, and maybe just kind of as a quick last question, why we do that and and how you'd encourage them to think about it? Well, I think... Okay, so you know when you go to the Cheesecake Factory, the, the menu is is too complex. Yeah. And you have a panic attack <laughs> trying to figure out what you're going to eat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we don't do like 20 different styles because I don't think that serves the congregation, you know. Mm. But, but I think purpose, being purposeful about deciding what to do and, and utilizing those uh, means of making music in a really, in a, in a way that makes sense for the congregation and, and sort of the culture of the congregation or the era of the congregation. And then also providing opportunities for worship that like, like, like Brian said, that harken back and also look forward and just finding what, what, uh, what mixture uh, Mm. of those works for the congregation and what, what people are getting out of those things. I think you can do, you can do really any style of worship as long as it works, Mm. as long as it's not distracting. And as long as, um, the the congregation is glorifying God and lifting up and praising God's name through the music, mm. you know. And uh, I think when someone walks in, I hope that they would think, you know, I, I, some people move around for to churches for I think for two reasons: either the sermon or for the worship style. And I think I hope we're past you know what people call the worship wars. I resent that statement. <laughs> in a lot of ways, but like, but, but I think if they walked in and they saw, you know, a worship band, but they saw maybe in the announcement that the Monday Thursday choir is coming up, that would be intriguing to me. If, especially if I was new and not a musician, I'd be like, Oh, that's cool. Like what, how do they, how do they do that? Is it two services? Or are they just trying to incorporate different musical worship opportunities? Mm-hmm. If I was new I and I saw that, I would, I would think, Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. But if it were you know, overwhelming or like, what's the direction here? What are we yeah, doing? Because yeah. then yeah. it would be, then, then it becomes a distraction, mm. which, sorry, I keep going to that, but that's just a huge core of my worship philosophy mm. and, and to remove distractions. And so, you know, I think it's good to stick with one or two. And right now they're basically two and there's some combinations here and there, but, uh, and to do those and do those well, but I think it's cool and important to, to offer those opportunities. And that was a big reason that I wanted to start the choir because I know the value that I have gained from that over mm-hmm. the years in, in many different contexts and especially the church. Um, and I thought it would be a, a, a cool idea to just try and do that. And, mm-hmm. and doing the Monday Thursday service is a really simple way to do that. And that's why I chose to do it at that point, because the music is meant to be easy. It's repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what, eight bars for most songs over and over. The melody is simple. The harmony is predictable. And it's about repeating the text and letting that wash over you as a blessing. And so kind of a little bit going back to what we we're talking about before, the idea of the service is also, it, there, is a, there is a choir, but if you pick up on the text and the music and you're in the congregation and you want to hum along or sing along, that is a great way to sort of participate in that service and not make it feel like there's no corporate singing. That's cool. And that's encouraged. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. All yeah. right, well... 
Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. Any any last thoughts either on that or to wrap us up, B? I mean, there's a whole philosophy behind how we pick songs. <laughs> Some songs kind of stand the test of time. There's yeah. different people in the congregation that where different songs feel like home to you. So we don't want yeah. to like have, live in one home. We want everyone to have a home. Um, we could talk more about that later. But in the midst of that, I think kind of buttoning this up, like I, it, it reminds me of, uh, there was a pretty formative time in my life where I was kind of like a spiritual retreat and God was doing some stuff. And I, I remember I, I wasn't, um, I was away. And so I wasn't near our church and this is like 15 years ago or something. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I basically, it was just gonna be a Sunday. I was like, I need to go to church. Like, so I'd like look up a church. And I remember thinking, I wonder what they're gonna, what kind of church it's going to be, you know, like what kind of music they would have or whatever. And because of, I think that kind of formative moment I was in, I, w- I had this really pure reaction that has stuck with me, not because I, I, I live it the same way I did then, but because of the memory and kind of the inspiration to, to want to be that way, which was, you know, man, I just, at some level, I don't really care if they sing old songs or new songs, as long as they're singing about Jesus. Mm. Like, I don't really care if the sermon's short or long, or if it's in this style, or that style, as long as it's about Jesus, that's what I want. And that's what I need. That's what I can engage in. And so I think underneath all the philosophy of why we do what we do, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We want to be a place where, look, if you're the kind of person that cares more about singing about Jesus than about the, the way you happen to be doing that, we want to be, we want to be a home for you and everything else we can kind of put on the table and figure out as we go, how to be the most loving and, and the most kind of um, familial about that. But that's our goal. Mm. Mm. That's really sweet. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thanks My for pleasure. making it work. My pleasure. Glad we could. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was really yeah edifying and encouraging. I'm I'm excited to get together on Sunday. So um, yeah, thank you guys and thank you all for listening. Uh, we love you and we will see you and sing with you on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>